0: I'm so glad that you are here, uh, whether in person or watching online, literally all over the world. I know there's been a lot of interest in our study in Revelation, so thank you for joining us. If you do live in Fort Worth, let me just remind you, we have uh, 10 services on three campuses on Easter weekend. We've made room for your friends, and I hope you will bring someone, because I promise you, you will hear a message of hope on Easter weekend that will point to Jesus. And so I hope you'll come and bring someone with you. It's going to be a powerful weekend. I want to thank all of you for the way you have listened to this study of Revelation because it has been one of the most exhilarating, but certainly the most exhausting series I've ever attempted to preach because the book can be a very confusing book. And what I'm trying to do on each weekend is take literally hundreds of hours of research and pour it into 30 to 40 minutes and I feel like I'm hitting you with a fire hydrant and asking you to take a drink and I know it's overwhelming and I'm coming at you fast and furious but the thing about the book of Revelation it wasn't meant to be studied six verses at a time. The book is like a movie and you have to study it one scene at a time and some of the scenes are pretty long. For example this weekend we're going to cover four chapters but it's just one scene and so that's why it's important each weekend that you read ahead and are familiar with where we're going to try to go because there's no other way to handle this but to be ready to go pretty fast and furious so buckle up we'll get started. I heard about a preacher who's at the end of a service at the back of the building shaking hands as people walk out and he grabs the hand of one man and says brother you need to join the army of the Lord. And the man says, well, preacher, I'm in the army of the Lord. And the preacher says, how come I hardly ever see you come to church? And the man said, I'm in the secret service. (laughs) When you read the book of Revelation, it is so important to keep context in mind. John is a real pastor. Writing to real churches. Who have real reasons to try to keep their faith in Jesus a secret see in the ancient world there was no distinguishing between church and state Rome holds the empire together in two ways one is military threat and two is faith and they ask you to say Caesar is Lord See, they can't understand someone that would say, I can't say that, but I'll be a good citizen. I won't be a troublemaker, but I can't say Caesar is Lord because only Jesus is Lord. They couldn't separate church and state. If you can't say Caesar is Lord, you're a threat to the state. And so you have a situation in the first century where Christians are beginning to feel real pressure from the state. Already, some Christians have been martyred. And if you live in the first century, you're asking yourself this question. Is Jesus worth it? Is his kingdom worth the price I might have to pay if I don't bow down to another king? And the answer that John gives to the church is what Jesus gave to John, a fresh picture of himself, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the curtain is pulled back so that John can see this greater reality that's going on behind the scenes through which to interpret our current reality. And and so Jesus introduces himself and he invites John to the church up into the throne room. And we are shown what's going on above us to help us handle what's going on. Around us. And through a series of judgments. Seals, trumpets, and bowls. Jesus is going to make the point to his church. That the kingdom you're afraid of might look powerful. But when God is through, only one kingdom is going to be left. So be wise. And choose the right Lord. Now, we said last time that what John is doing is called recapitulation. It's a popular literary device in the Bible where you tell the same story from different angles. The judgments that were the sealed judgments were from the lens of how God's wrath was going to affect the church. And the big question is when God's wrath is poured out on the world, who can stand? And the answer we saw was everyone that stands with Christ. Is going to be able to stand before Christ on the great day. But what's going to happen in the trumpet judgments. And the bowl judgments. Is we're going to see God's wrath poured out on his enemies. And the question we're going to answer is. What are we supposed to be doing. When God judges the world. Because if you. Have witnessed the revelation of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't you witness to it? You see these next sets of judgments are going to be directed at the enemies of God. Now you think it's hard to suffer as a Christian and it is. But if it's hard to suffer as a Christian think how hard it is to suffer as a pagan. And so we're going to find seven angels are going to come out now. And they're going to have seven trumpets. And every time they blow a trumpet... A judgment of God is going to fall out and it's going to look a whole lot like one of the plagues back in the book of Exodus. Now, remember the plagues. Who did they threaten? Not the Israelites, not the people of God. The plagues were poured out on the enemies of God. And so the angel with the first trumpet blows and hell and fire fall down. And burn up a third of the earth. Then the second trumpet is sounded. And a fiery mountain falls down into the sea. And a third of the sea turns into blood. And a third of the sea creatures die. And then the third trumpet is blown. And a blazing star falls. And it turns a third of the fresh water in the whole world bitter. And a lot of people die from drinking it. And then the fourth trumpet is blown. And a third of the sun and moon and stars turned dark. Now, we've said you don't read Revelation literally, you read it naturally. These are figures. Because if you read it literally, any one of these judgments would end life on the planet. What would happen if a third of the ocean turned into blood? What would happen if just for a second, a third of the sun went dark? Life on this planet would be over. So, what he's doing is simply saying, by God... Judging his own creation. He's showing you how seriously God takes sin and rebellion in the world. And by using one third, he's recapitulating. He's saying, the story's not over when I get through with these judgments. There's more to come. Then, in a move that had to make the first century readers smile. After the first four judgments, an eagle flies over and says... Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, which is code for unbelievers. Because if you think the first four judgments have been bad, wait till the next three trumpets sound. And by the way, it's political satire at its most brilliant. Because the eagle was the symbol for Rome. Everybody knew that. So you have the symbol of Rome's power saying to the world, you think God... Is upset? Just wait till you see what he does next. And then the fifth trumpet is sounded. And a star, which is probably an angel, falls and opens the abyss. And out of this huge hole comes this horde of warring locusts with beast-like features. And they start to torture Everybody who does not have the seal of God. They have teeth like lions and tails like scorpions and they have hair like women, which I don't get, but that's what it says. (laughs) And don't bog on the details. One popular book says, well, that means they're Apache helicopters. No, John is just trying to make a creature look horrible and malevolent to show you how evil their agenda is. And they have a king, and his name is Destroyer. And what this implies is that these locusts are either demons or they're at least demonically influenced. But even so, they can only do what God says. They can't kill anybody. They can only torture for five months. Whether they know it or not, they are agents of God doing what he wants. Then the sixth trumpet blows and this huge massive army crosses the euphrates river they're riding horses that can breathe out fire and they kill a third of mankind and again if you lived in the first century you knew that east of the river was the parthian empire they were a fierce warring people they were expert horsemen and rome if there was one thing that rome was worried about it was the parthians they'd already had two skirmishes with them and had lost both of them and Rome lived on edge of the great army to the east. So what is God doing? This revelation is saying, listen, church, Rome is going down. From the inside, from their corruption, from their leadership that's influenced by the demonic world. And from the outside, from threats internal and external. When I give the word, Rome is going down. But divine judgments are never an end in themselves. Why is God pouring out his wrath on men? At least two reasons. One, the trumpets sound because saints seek justice. Do you remember back in the seal judgments, the fifth seal? Martyrs are under the altar and they say to God, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? Now look at the start of chapter 8. Verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel Who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there was peals of thunder, rumblings of flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. A couple of years ago, I spoke one day at one of the uh, jails in Tarrant County. When I was through, two of the inmates came up to me. Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, did you know there's not going to be any women in heaven? I said, I didn't know that. What scripture gives you that impression? They opened their Bible to Revelation 8, verse 1. When they opened the seventh seal, behold, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. See, I don't think that's what that verse means. But notice, heaven has been loud every time we've heard about it. When angels talk, it's loud. When saints worship, it's loud. When they play the harps, it's loud. When there are earthquakes and lightning, it's loud. But suddenly, it gets quiet in heaven. Why? Because God is listening to the prayers of the saints. In fact, it's almost like It's mixed with incense and God is inhaling. God is smelling the prayers of the martyrs. And the seven trumpets that we just talked about that were so terrible. They were God's answer to the prayers of his people. They ascended to God. They were collected. They were put in a censer. And fire was added to them. And presented to God. And then they were cast back down on the earth. Now that's why in five of the six judgments there's fire that's mentioned. And the point is we need to understand the potency of our prayers. In my lifetime I have seen some of the most wicked, evil regimes collapse. Governments that are guilty Of spilling the blood of millions of Christians. Now historians will give you all kinds of diplomatic reasons why those countries failed. But I've got a better answer. God heard the prayers of the martyrs. And he brought those wicked countries down. We have no idea what our prayers are doing and shaping world history. And that's one of the reasons. The trumpets are sounding because Christians are praying. But there's another reason. They sound because God seeks repentance. Do you remember that God told the saints under the altar to wait? He said, more of you must die before it's over. And that's one of the questions we've struggled with for 20 centuries. God, why are you being so slow? And there's only one answer the Bible gives. That God does not understand slowness the way we do. For God is not willing that anyone should perish. But that all should come to repentance. See these trumpet judgments are intended to be redemptive. God is allowing evil to come around. So that rebels will turn around you see that is one thing that would immediately have made sense in the first century to the jewish people and and the old testament is all over the book of revelation and if you know your old testament every time you read about locusts it's god calling people to repent joel chapter 1 and 2 book of amos the book of judges Do you remember that famous passage in second chronicles where god says to israel if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. The first, right in front of that, says, "But I'll send famine and locust when my people rebel." So when you see locust in the Bible, it is God saying, "I want you to repent." The plagues in the Old Testament are for getting people out of Egypt. But in Revelation, it's for getting Egypt out of people. But unregenerate man has an amazing capacity to remain in stubborn defiance, even in spite of great pain. So after these six terrible judgments... Here's what the Bible says the people did. Chapter 9 of Revelation. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. You see, it takes more than woe to get rebels to repent. It takes witness. And that brings us to chapter 10 and 11. Remember I told you last time, in every one of these judgments, between 6 and 7, John changes channels. And he gives us an interlude. And that interlude explains the point of all these judgments. In the seal judgments, after judgment, uh, seal number 6, there was a change of the channel. At the end of cha- uh, judgment 6, who can stand? And then you get into that window and you see up into heaven all the people that are standing before the throne. And the point is, if you stand with Jesus, you're going to stand before Jesus. Now, the same thing. We've had all these terrible judgments because God wants the world to repent and the world won't Repent. What can God do to reach a wicked world? John says, change the channel. I'm going to show you now what God wants the church to be doing when God pours out his wrath on the world. And so John sees this big giant angel. And he's got this little scroll in his hand. And John is told to go and take it. Chapter 10 verse 9 So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. I will turn your stomach sour. But in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, now watch, here's your job assignment. You must prophesy. Again, about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John, the world won't repent just from judgment. John, pain is not enough to reach a lost world. John, I need a witness. What Revelation is doing... Is Jesus is inviting his church to join him in trumpeting the call to repent. That when God shakes the world, our job is not just to hold on. Our job is to speak up. And that leads to chapter 11. And we're going to take a moment and read a large section here. And hopefully you'll see this. Verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer core. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles and they'll trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They'll have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they're prophesying. They have power to turn the waters into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. And now when they've finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial, which in the ancient world was the ultimate insult. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. It's the only time in the book of Revelation that the people of the earth praise God. And here's the point. It takes more than judgment to reach a lost world. It takes bold, brave witness. God must find some witnesses if the world is ever going to find him. Witnesses that first will speak a message that is hard to stomach. The gospel is both sweet and Bitter. Because it's good news and it's bad news. The gospel is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. But the gospel is also John 3, 18. Whoever rejects the son is condemned already. When you witness to Christ, you're bringing a verdict against the world. It's why Paul says the preaching of the cross is offensive. Men don't want to hear that they're not good enough to impress God. They do not want to hear that the most popular gospel on earth. Well I'm a pretty good person. I think I should go to heaven. Doesn't cut it with God. They don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way to God. And the biggest mistake the church can make. Is to diminish The distinctness of our witness in order to diminish the hostility of the world. And churches are doing it. Churches are watering down the witness to Christ to not upset the world. And that's one of the reasons I think that in John's vision, these witnesses that represent all of us look a lot like Elijah and Moses. Did you notice that? They can stop the rain like Elijah. They can turn water to blood like Moses. And that's for two reasons. One is because it's, it's a way of saying all the law, all the prophets, all the Bible is the witness to Jesus. But it's also, remember what they did. They stood up to two of the most wicked regimes on earth. Pharaoh and King Ahab. And they spoke the word of the Lord boldly and bravely. Even when it wasn't what the world wanted to hear. And it's not just a special assignment for a few people. It is the job description for every one of you. Jesus said you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And the message might be bitter to some. And so sometimes the world will make it bitter on the messengers. And so God is looking for witnesses who will testify without a witness protection program. John is told to measure the temple. But not the outer court where the Gentiles are. Now, by this point, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed for 25 years. By this point, the church knew we're the new temple of God. By measuring, it's a symbol for protection and ownership. God is saying, I'm going to protect my church eternally. You're secure with me. But I need you out there in the court of the Gentiles where it's not going to be safe. It says they will trample the holy city for 42 months now. Who's the holy city? You are. Later in Revelation, and I saw the bride of Christ, the holy city, descending. You are the holy city of God now. And what does 42 months mean? There's lots of interpretations. I'll give you mine. Again, if you're reading like a Jew, if you know your Old Testament, how long did Elijah hide from Ahab? How long was Jesus on the earth, persecuted and harassed in his ministry? How long did Titus surround and besiege Jerusalem? And most of all, if you're a Jew, you know Antioch Epiphanes, the Syrian commander in the Maccabean revolt, he came right into Jerusalem. He went up to the altar and slaughtered a pig on it. He desecrated the temple of God. How long did that last? 42 months. And so, if you're a Jew and you hear 42 months, what you hear is uh oh, persecution. What God is saying is, I need you out in the Gentile world, and it's going to be hard. How long have we got to do this, God? 1260 days. How long is 1260 days? 42 months. What's God saying? As long as there's faithful witness, there's going to be persecution. As long as there's persecution, I need faithful witnesses. We're being called to imitate Jesus who got killed in the great city the famous evangelist dwight l moody someone guy came up to him one time and said brother moody i just got through living five years on the mount of transfiguration and moody said well how many people did you bring to christ while you were doing that he said i didn't bring anybody to christ moody said we don't need that kind of mountaintop experience Something's wrong when you're so high up with God, you can't reach down to a sinner. This book is calling you and me to imitate the life of Jesus. And it got him killed. But that's how God is going to win the world, and that's how we are going to win the victory. I think the most important verse in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 11, they us triumphed over him the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death and remember this God knows how to raise witnesses from the dead the world can mock the world can party whenever they persecute the church but God knows how to raise witnesses from the dead and so Because of what we've seen. We tell the world what we see. You see here's the thing about witnesses. We know how to live in the future tense. We're willing to be temporarily vulnerable. Because we know we are eternally secure. Because we know what's above us. We will speak to those around us. In fact we know that one day. What's above us. Will be around us. Look at how the trumpet judgments end. Verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven. Which said the kingdom of the world. Has become the kingdom of our Lord. And of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders. Who were seated on their thrones before God. Fell on their faces and worshiped God. Saying we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty. Watch this. The one who is And who was? Because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name. See, all through Revelation, we've been saying... Let's praise the one who was and is and is to come. But do you realize that someday the kingdom of God is going to absorb all the kingdoms of the earth. And we won't say the one who was and is and is to come. We'll just say the one who was and the one who is because he's come. What he's saying is, listen, be careful what king you bow down, Because the day is coming when all the kingdoms of the earth, the ones you like and the ones you don't like, are all going to get absorbed in the kingdom of God. And he is going to reclaim his rightful, legitimate dominion over the whole world. You understand a day is coming when we're not going to have any more elections. Not going to have any more conclaves. Not going to have any more coups. We're just going to have the kingdom of God. And our job now is to tell the world this is coming and to live like it has already happened. I love the story about the African-American group in Florida in pre-civil right days. Every time there was an election, they would rent a voting machine and they would cast ballots. And people said, why? Because your votes don't even get counted. And they would say, we're just practicing. And I love that spirit that says, we are going to live right now like the current power isn't going to last. And the real government is on the way. Because someday, the one who was and is will come. And when that day comes, there are two things You can't do anymore. Sin and witness. Now, which of those things do you think God left you here to do? You are not a part of the secret service. Your faith in Jesus is your faith. It's a personal faith. It's not a private faith, if it's real. You weren't just saved from something, you were saved for something. And the question this revelation is asking the church is this Are we living out loud? That person in your office that seems so out of control, God is saying, Can I get a witness? That group at school that seems so lost, can God get a witness? Those people down the street that seem so hopeless. Can I get a witness? I hope you've noticed that in the last few weeks we've had a great bump up in the number of people here getting baptized. Because more and more people are giving a witness. I could share a lot of great stories. I'm just going to share one. You're looking at a picture of Maria Herrera and John Martinez. They've never married. They have two daughters. They didn't know the Lord. Because of some bad choices, John wound up in prison. While John was incarcerated, Maria found the Lord, Jesus Christ. And she became his follower. She got involved in our single-parent family class here at church. When John was released from prison last summer, he immediately pursue Maria about the possibility of their relationship re-engaging. But she informed him it couldn't be like it used to be. She gave her witness. She did invite John to come to church with her, and he did. He started coming. He met David Meyer. And about a month ago, he gave his life to Christ, and he's learning what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. John and Maria are talking now about what it might look like to be a Christian couple. They're in pre-marriage counseling. And recently John took his precious two girls to the daddy-daughter dance. Out at the South Lake campus. And here's the point. It took more than judgment. To turn that life around. It took witness. You and I. Have been given the most precious gift. The revelation. Of Jesus Christ. Not just so we could see it. But so we could speak it. Would you pray with me. Father I I feel frustrated. There's so much to say. There's so much to cover. And so little time. I, I know this book can be confusing. I know a lot of the people right now feel a bit overwhelmed by all we've talked about. But, but God, at least, could your Holy Spirit do this? Could your Holy Spirit impress upon us right now how much you want everyone to repent? That guy at work who's a jerk every day, you don't want him to perish. You want him to repent. Repent. That girl at school with the lousy reputation, you want her to repent. That couple across the street that can't seem to go a day without screaming at each other. You want them to repent. That friend that can't stay sober. You want him to repent. You want everyone to repent. And God, you have made it clear in your divine wisdom that simply judging won't bring people to repentance. It takes loving, faithful, kind, but bold, brave witness. And I suspect right now, God, if we understand nothing else about revelation, you've put on our heart Someone we need to witness to. So give us the courage of Moses. The boldness of Elijah. Faith in the Holy Spirit. And the love of Christ. So that we can speak of these amazing things we have seen. In Jesus' name. Amen. I thought last week Chris's message was powerful about how we need to be vulnerable. Share our brokenness with each other. We wanted every week to give you a chance to come and be prayed for. And we're going to stand in a second. Elders and prayer members are going to be down here. And here's the connection. Do you know that most of the time what God uses for His message is your mess? He takes your mess... He redeems it. He pours Holy Spirit power into your mess. And it becomes your message. It is your brokenness that's going to become your witness. So let's all stand. The prayer team's coming forward right now. We're going to sing about the importance of shouting to the world the message of Christ. And if you need prayer, if you want to become a Christian, please come front as we worship together.